Very good morning to everyone. And uh, we're conti continuing our exploration of Mark's gospel account. And looking today, as Barney said, at uh, chapter 10 and the account of the rich young man. But before we begin, let's pray. Father God, as we read your word this morning and we think upon that true and living word, open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. Draw us closer this day with a deeper love for you. Pray that through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, to your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read to you the passage of the rich young rulers taken from Mark's gospel, reading from verse 17 to verse 31. I'm using the New Living Translation. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments, and since I was young, I've done that. Look at, looking at the man, Jesus felt a genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses and brothers and sisters mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have 
eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So here we have a person, this young man, on a journey to find answers to life eternal. In fact, the man's story appears in the first three gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew tells us that the man is young. Luke tells us that he's a ruler. And all three tell us that he's a very rich man. All of this shows very much that his search for eternal life is an ancient one. The young man is quite clearly sincere, wealthy, very very wealthy, in fact. And probably because of his wealth and earnestness about spiritual matters, he's a person that seems to have been entrusted with governance in the synagogue, a ruler, a respected man in the community. And in his fine robes, he's run and he pitches up, immaculately groomed, no doubt, And he's kneeling in the dirt on the roadside here at the edge of town. He's got a burning question on his heart. Most wealthy and uh, religious people who ask Jesus' question publicly usually try to ask him a trick question. You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Or why why do your disciples pluck grain on the Sabbath? But this man's questions were no trick. It was a sincere question to which he needed to know the answer. The man asks, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The words of the old prophet Isaiah no doubt had escaped this young man's mind. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, All our righteousness are like filthy rags. Jesus goes on here in the next verse, in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. This young man, this young ruler, had run and knelt before Jesus. He clearly respected him. This man, for all that he's achieved to this point in his life, He still sensed, didn't he, that sense of lacking in his life. He's been a good person. He's followed all the rules and obeyed all the laws, loved others as best as he could, but he wants to please God, that is no doubt. And yet there is a lack, an ache, an uncertainty that he can't quite fathom. What is the answer to his emptiness in this? What must he do? I wonder if that resonates with any of you. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. Jesus tells the man, verse 21, go and sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. That's his path. That's his answer from Jesus but it's a hard one because it blows apart all that he has built. 
the most important law, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. So Jesus says to this young man, if you are serious, make me your only possession. Attach your life to me alone. And then you will have eternal life. For this young man, it seems that he that his love of comforts and security afforded to him by his possessions are just too much. Verse 22 tells us in some ways so. It says, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Another, another translation says, he went away shocked and grieving. This young man is clearly disturbed by Jesus' call on his life. He knows what he has to do, but he just can't bring himself to do that. His emotional and psychological attachment to his wealth and status overrule his willingness to follow up on Jesus' call to him. You know, applying all of this into our lives today requires a real honesty and sensitivity. Wealth is most often gotten as a result of work, ours or someone else's. And it can be an obstacle sometimes to following Jesus. If we have wealth and privileged positions as this rich ruler did, then maybe managing our life and career will seem more important than serving others, than doing good works, or even making time for family, for our communities, and even our own spiritual life. At times, it may hinder us from hearing God's voice. Our possessions and positions may make us puffed up and insensitive to the people and needs around us. It's hard, it's hard to motivate yourself to be, bring change in this world if you feel you're already at the top of the pile in this world. Of course, all of this doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. We need to ask, by this world's standard, we also have become complacent because of our relative wealth and status. The one amazing thing that uh, is so clear in all this is Jesus' wonderful thoughts here on the young man in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him, we read. Jesus' purpose here is not to shame this man it's not to badger this young man into submission, but to love him. Jesus calls him to leave his possessions. First of all, for his own benefit, saying, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. We are the ones who suffer when we let wealth or work cut us off from other people and at times sadly separate us from a relationship with God. The solution is not to try harder to be good, 
but to accept God's love freely and to follow Jesus. Our true security is not found in our possessions and positions. This rich young man has an abundance of status symbols, no doubt. And he owns much. He's very wealthy. We can't be sure, really, which way this young man chose in the very end. He may well have missed entering into the kingdom of God as much because of his love of status as because of his love of wealth. The Bible says that getting to heaven is not a wide and big road. It's a narrow one. And Jesus is unique among all faith leaders in claiming to bring God to our world in his own person. Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus isn't some divine guru or some amazing sage. He doesn't point you on the way. Jesus is the way. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus that late at night in the garden. We read that account in John, in John's Gospel. He says to him, you must be born again. Christianity is not an add-on to life. It's a whole new life. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, if you want life eternal, it comes only through his life. To many, this entire passage may seem unreasonable, even a bit harsh. Even the disciples were amazed at Jesus' words. You know, money was a sign of God's blessing, surely. How could this man's money be his problem now? Jesus says more in verse 25 and 26, where we read, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in this world can be saved, they asked. Now, maybe you've heard that Jesus is referring to a, a narrow gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And camels would only remotely be able to pass through after they had shed all their loads at a push. But most scholars, Jewish, Muslim, and Christians alike, dismiss that explanation. And instead, the words are understood in a more literal and somewhat comical way using exaggerated language to make a point. You know, the largest animal in the area that they would have known. The smallest hole that they could have conceived. The impossibility of this physically would have been part of the disciples' confusion. You know, if the rich who they saw as clearly blessed by God cannot enter heaven, then who can? What Jesus is saying and doing is telling us that salvation is not something that man can accomplish. A teacher asked the children in her Sunday school class, 
If I sold my house and my car and, and had a big garage sale and give all the money to the church, would I get to heaven? No, the children all answered. If I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would I get into heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, she continued, then what can I do to get into heaven? And in the back of the room, a five-year-old boy shouted out, Miss, you've got to die. No matter how much we do, we can never gain heaven. We are, we are that big, smelly camel trying to fit in through the fine eye of a needle. God requires holiness. It's impossible to squeeze ourselves into heaven. Our best efforts, our brightest, our most valuable gifts, our most righteous works, next to God's holiness, is nothing. There is no earthly cure. There is no earthly solution, only a heavenly one. Verse 27, Jesus says, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Jesus saves you as you are. He removes the falsities, all our false hopes. Jesus is the one true hope of heaven for us. That was the offer that Jesus made to this young man. Lay down all that you have built up, all the monuments of righteousness, all your grand obediences and good deeds, your wealth and possessions. To save us, God, the infinity, became finite. God became man. The Son of God, Jesus, who gave up all the riches of heaven and assumes the role of a servant and ultimately gives up his very life. That we might know that same life and that life to the full. The disciples were clearly nervous. Look at verse 28. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. He's crying out, what about us, Jesus? Do we have eternal life? Jesus comforts them, not with treasures in heaven to come. No, he speaks of treasures to be enjoyed now. Verse 30 will receive now, here and now. The promises of God always seem to have a both a present and future value. When we come and follow Jesus, we lack nothing. No matter how much we give up, we cannot outgive God. In verse 30, Jesus adds that we also get along with this persecution. It's not roses all the way. This world does not really treat all humans as equal. As followers of Jesus, all are equal, spiritually in God's eyes. In fact, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves and serve others will be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Before I 
come to an end, I really want to look back again at this, the small part of the verse from 21. And for me, this is the summary of this passage, the core text of this passage, where it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt a genuine love for him. This is Jesus being Jesus, openly, honestly loving all who seek him earnestly, inviting them into a relationship with him to take that step, that next step, down the narrow road with him. Jesus loves you and wants you. Even at your most vulnerable moment, the very place where you are furthest from the Lord is the very place Jesus loves you most. He says, I love you and I want you to be free from the shackles of all your stuff and to start living the life that I have for you. Are you aware of Jesus' love for you? Jesus was there before him at that roadside full of love for this young man. All he had to do was to follow, and life to the full would have been his. James, in James's letter, um, he writes, um, religion that God, that our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. John D. Rockefeller built an empire, and for many years he was one of the richest or the richest man in the world. When he died, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And his reply was, he left it all. Some three years ago, one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington, and uh, he spoke in an interview about his Christian faith. And he said, there's an old saying that you'll never see a home removals van and a hearse off together to the funeral. Whatever you've acquired in this life, you just can't take it with you. The Egyptians tried that, and they got robbed. Their tombs and their pyramids were all plundered, weren't they? The truth is that money, wealth, status, our possessions and positions have a way of polluting us. Listen to Paul's first letter to Timothy, the well-known verses here in chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. You and I are invited to come to Jesus and to follow him on a whole life journey. Come, follow me. 23 times in the gospel, Jesus makes that call. The journalist and poet Paul Gilbert wrote these words in a poem that I've heavily shortened but just to give you a small taste. The Gospels 
of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is the gospel according to you. You see, we are a living gospel. Some of you are listening now that are searching for that which will satisfy an inner craving for meaning, for significance. Let me read to you a promise that I feel God laid on my heart for you um, just the other day. It's written some 600 years ago by the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, it's taken from chapter 33 and verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you your you great and hidden things that you have not known. Can you hear that? It's the same call from Jesus. Come, follow me. The life in front of you is far more important than the life behind. Jesus did not come to destroy, but to fulfill our lives. In the summer of 1981, I took that step of faith on hearing the call to come follow me. Jesus changed my life. Our faith is the key to God. It's not our fleshly efforts, not how much we have or what the color of my skin or where you were born, not what we look like, not how well we behave, not how high we have reached, but faith. Faith is the key. And that key is you and I are loved regardless, unconditionally. See, the core of come, follow me is the love of God. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that you who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.